Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Joe Zhu, founder and CEO of Zenlayer. Joe founded Zenlayer in 2014 after eight years of managing global business for China Cash, China's largest CDN provider. In this interview, Joe discusses Zenlayer's evolution from edge data center provider to the goal of becoming the world's number one edge cloud provider, as well as Zenlayer's focus on being a truly global company and its unique capability and passion for serving emerging markets. But before we get into it, here is a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of Catchpoint, NetFoundry, Ori Industries, Packet, Seagate, Vapor.io, and Zenlayer. The featured sponsor of this episode of Over the Edge is Zenlayer. Improving user experience doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Zenlayer helps you lower latency with on-demand edge services in over 150 POPs around the world. Find out how you can improve your user's experience today at zenlayer.com edge. And now, please enjoy this interview between Joe Zhu, CEO and founder of Zenlayer, and your host, Matt Trefiro. Hi, I'm Matt Trefiro. I am the Chief Marketing Officer of Vapor.io and also the co-chair of State of the Edge. And I'm here this morning with Joe Zhu, the CEO of Zenlayer. Uh, hi, Joe. How are you doing today? Hey, Matt. Very good. How about you? Oh, I'm I'm doing terrific. So I wanted I wanted to start out by asking you how you got involved in technology. Like, what is it that drew you to technology? It's a long story. So <laughs> actually, well, I studied at MIS back in the college, you know, and I really love internet everything. But at that time, it's dial-up. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I wrote a couple of software for the companies. One is actually I wrote a, a scheduling system for China Eastern Airline. Wow. That was, they, they actually, that's their first scheduling system. Yeah, but fast forward, when I come to US, I started build and run the global network for one of the largest carriers. That's I where I get to the internet and technology. I really about, have a About what, what year was this approximately? Uh, it's uh, 2000. Okay. It's right after the internet first bubble. Right at the crash. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> You know, yeah, build a global network. Which is actually a good time to get into the internet, it turns out. It is. It is. You know, everything's so exciting, right? So I I build like a data centers, global pop, everything. Yeah, that's how I started. Yeah, that's great. And and how long have you been at the head of of Zenlayer? Zenlayer, I founded a company in 2014, Mm -hmm. right after I left China Cash. China Cash is one of the uh, CDN companies. So were you, when was the transition from engineering to, you know, business management? That's a good question. Although I suspect you never, you never let the engineering go completely, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I'm still engineering by trade. I mean, every day I still, I still need to touch the computer and you still need to log into the routers, you know. So engineers, you can fix the network, you can build a network. But later part of my, when I worked for a previous company, I noticed I can probably make an even bigger impact on the business side with my technology background. That's that's why I, I start kind of have the transition from engineer become a, a more of a technology leadership in a sense. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. And so you, you founded Zenlayer in 2014, is that right? Yeah. And so back then, and the world's changed quite a bit, and I want to talk about how the world's changed, but what problem were you trying to solve? 
try to solve the issue at the edge, right? Back in 2014, public cloud is already huge, right? But how to improve the user experience is a, is a big question. So this, this is a challenge and opportunity for us. So I start work on this. Yeah. And so when you say improve the experience at the edge, like what in particular, like what customer problems, what, where did you see the opportunity to, who do you want to, who do you see the opportunity to solve for first? Uh, media entertainment. So the interactive experience, right? Like esports, uh, like a 2014 esports is getting hot, right? Now is obviously everywhere. Yeah, right. Right. But how to make a million users to compete each other on the internet, that's a big issue. Yeah, so that's really interesting. In 2014, that was you were pretty early, you know. So, so when you look at like the history of edge computing, the the first reference I can find to edge computing actually came out of the team that founded Akamai when they were at MIT. Yeah, and as you know, that version of edge computing was one way. It was essentially a, a data cache, right? Yeah, and it made a, a drastic improvement in how the internet functioned. I mean, videos used to buffer, and websites took forever. But 2014, you know, there weren't a lot of people that were thinking about edge computing on uh, in term, from an interactive standpoint on the return trip. So, I mean, what, what made you, I mean, I guess the growth of esports, but I thought it's a pretty big insight, I think, in 2014 to recognize that you want those edge computers doing more than just, you know, c- caching and doing small modifications to, to web pages. Like, what, where did that insight come from? Yeah. So, before I funded ZenLayer, I run China Cash's global business for seven years. Yeah. That's a CDN company, right? So, so it, it's through static caching. So, so obviously, CDN solved the videos and the, the static content delivery issue. But obviously, that seven years gave me a lot of insights. There's lots of a customer, the interactive experience, those experience, it, still, those issues still not addressed. Yeah. Even today, in some senses, I mean the yeah, yeah. So, I mean, who are your first customers? Uh, the first customer, actually, for Zenly, it's a I don't know, it's on the record now, but I can tell you. Yeah, I'd love to know the story. Yeah, it's Google. Really? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the first customer, is, it, it, it's a, obviously uh, we have a long-term relationship back in days with Google, but it was Google needed deploy the service edge service in China. Okay. First, China is a, a challenging market, right? Very interesting market, put this way, <laughs> right? So, especially today, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. dynamics. So we we help them to deploy the A cities, edge locations, uh, fully managed and uh, manage the equipment, service, and as well as technology. It means the routing, everything. Make sure the A cities able to cover whole China. Yeah, well, and I I noticed now that you're off. You have an offer a bare bare metal cloud offering, and it it's interesting that that was kind of your first experience building a cloud, helping Google extend their cloud into these edge data centers. You kind of learn that through the process how the big guys do it, right? Then you you want to kind of build a a subset that can open up for every company can use it. Yeah. And and so now it seems like you've evolved your business. You're offering a full line of services. Why don't you tell me a little more about like ZenLayer today? Yeah, ZenLayer today now is a, we, we evolved from an edge data center provider to an edge cloud provider. It means we fully automate compute, network, and the application service. Compute, we, we are offering the bare metal cloud. Eventually, we will move up to the stack, for example, like offer a container service or function as a service. Right? 
right? Our R&D is working on that. We will offer that very soon, right? Networking universities, since we, we have more than 150 global edge data centers, at that time, the first initiative is that we want to connect our data center for ourselves. Then we figured our customer actually want that connectivity. So you built a backbone that connects all your data centers together. And of course, your customers that are in both of your data centers are going to want to use your connectivity. Exactly. And then we virtualize it so you can pay as you go and just use Did you, it. Did you build that, that SDN software yourself? Yes. So initial phase, the first, first version is based on OpenFlow. We are working on the second, we call SDN 2.0. It's actually based on telemetry and the segment routing. So it's completely different, different technology. Yeah. Interesting. And so you said 100, 150 data centers worldwide, yeah. 150 edge locations. And so how, how has your concept of edge and the needs that, that have emerged on the, and are still emerging for applications, how has that changed what you see the market needs and what ZenLayer needs to provide since 2014? Yeah, 2014, is at, at that time, it's still very heavy on static contents. Even we, we see the trend is the interactive uh, experience is coming, right? But now today is a really heavily interactive experience. I think that CDN static content will still there, still play a very big part of the digital experience. But now it's more of a move to the other trend because users' behavior has changed, right? Like what are the, what are the big changes in user behavior? Yep. So it's a very f- uh, fragment, right? The user's interest, the sending and receiving information is b- very fragment. Not like a million users interested in one thing. Now it's like a group of <laughs> million users. Interested, users interested in a million things. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. yeah that's, good. that's a good way of looking at it. That's, that's interesting. And it's very global. Right. Yeah. You have users from Jakarta and Los Angeles or Mexico, they want to compete or, or do some social things. Like today, you, there is a called social watching, right? Where you and I can watch your same movie. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. And it's these plugins to your browser that'll synchronize your Netflix. And yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. So all those are interactive experiences versus in the past is a static experience. Yeah. I mean, I've got two kids and, and their entire social world exists online. Exactly. And it's live and interactive, you know, with their with their characters, but also voice and video. And yeah, it's a very, very different world, especially when you look at the the young generation. You know, there's a there's another trend and and I wonder if if Zenlayer has an interest here. I'm sure you probably do, which is, you know, you talk about consumer behavior, you talk about the humans talking to machines. And one of the big trends that that I see that's driving a lot of this business is machines talking to machines. And you know, humans humans have tolerances of latency in the ones of seconds. Machines, <laughs> ones, a, ones, a second is glacial. <laughs> right? So I'm wondering how how that is changing how ZenLayer is thinking about its business and, and its relationship to providing edge compute services. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that that's the future, right? And not only human to talk to human, human talk to device, device to device. That's the any-to-any connectivities. So today, we're only doing a little bit of research on that. The reason being that is we don't know what's the business model for their business. Right? When the, the device talk to device, IoT is already big, but the traffic level is very low. Right? So for us- Yeah, I mean, most of it's been done on-prem today. Exactly. Right? How they interact with each other, we don't know yet. 
So what we were going to do is that the next phase, maybe in two or three years, we will offer so-called IoT managed suite on our edge network. So we help to manage IoT, not necessarily to improve the user experience here. Once the device start talking to each other, we will try to address that experience. Yeah, and that and that's interesting. I noticed on your website, I think maybe on your blog, you have an ambition of globally reaching a large percentage of the population with 10 millisecond latency, and 10 milliseconds is amazing, right? Like that's really fast for a human. And so, when you project into the future and you imagine this IoT service that you want to launch at some point, what what kind of latencies do you think you'll need to you know to compete with sort of on-prem solutions or to approximate to, to deliver to deliver something at the edge? I mean, it's 10 milliseconds sufficient, or do you, do you think you're going to have to even get lower latencies? Yeah, so first, I, I think our service, our, our intention is never going to compete with on-prem because this is a different use case, right? Uh, now, back to the 10 milliseconds, I think through our research is like for autonomous driving or remote medical use cases, right? I think a 10 milliseconds should be sufficient because that's the farthest way we can go because in order to get 10 milliseconds, most likely in the future, we need to deploy our edge cloud service inside a tower or close yeah. to the tower. Well, I mean, that, my company is building those data centers. So when you have that <laughs> need, we can we can certainly accommodate you. <laughs> of course, we love yeah. to do that. I mean, that. Our, our goal is is 75 microseconds to the radio head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Then from the radio head to the user, that's the last mile. We, there's nothing we can do, right? Yeah. Although the you know certainly 5G will improve that last mile and you know today fixed wire you know wired fixed networks can achieve that. And I'm actually seeing some demand to shift on prem into these across a low latency network. You know, it's sort of this this emerging near prem opportunity. So it's interesting how these worlds are blurring. In fact, you know, one of the things I, I, I was pretty inspired by your your open letter, your 2020 open letter that you published in early January. And, and one of the things that you wrote there that I thought was a really cool way of thinking about it, and I'm just going to read it, read it out loud to the audience, which is, you said, quote, as the boundary between digital and physical worlds increasingly blurs, the demand for real-time interactive digital experience has exploded. And I think that that, you know, you, you, you actually imagine the physical and digital worlds, you know, merging. And you think about like, that's what's happening. The cloud is coming closer to the edge and the, the edge or the devices are coming closer to the cloud. And there is almost this actual mixing of the physical and digital, but also this kind of metaphorical mixing the digital. I thought that was a, a really elegant way of describing, you know, kind of broadly why the edge is so important to us now, why we're talking about it and, you know, maybe why it wasn't that important or a common topic you know, 10 years ago, in 2010, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. And especially once 5G is really come online, the last mile speed is dramatically increased, right? The, the latency and the bandwidth is there. So the user, the user's demand for better experience will be, the, the pressure will be huge, right? So, but as you know, the telecom carrier is never able to build the mid-mile fast enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So one of the things that, that I that I, I picked up in 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 researching Zenlayer and talking to some folks in your company is that you have a particular focus on emerging markets. And you know, I I, I think I'm hearing two things. I think I'm hearing that that is definitely where you've got traction today. But I'm also 
think I'm hearing you've got much more broad global ambitions. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the importance of emerging markets, how you serve them uniquely, and then whether or not I'm, I'm right in picking up that, you know, you see your market expanding beyond that. Got it. Yeah, because it, it's, a, it's a choice, right? Because for a startup, you have limited resource of fund and talent, right? So our choice is we go to the emerging market, so-called underserved market first. So, so let's describe, for, for the audience doesn't know, like, like talk to me about what you, you define as an emerging market and, and how the internet is different there, and then how you help the internet be better. Yeah, so emerging market, in, in our view, is like uh, India, Indonesia, Vietnam, right? Russia, Brazil. So the infrastructure is not as good as so we call mature market, like the US and Europe, Japan, Korea. But the user base is huge. And we also look at those markets. Their mobile user subscriber has been dramatically increased year over year. And it has a bigger population as well as the GDP increase. Yeah. I mean, that's the primary source of internet access is mobile, right? Exactly. They don't have broadband in the past, right? So they just jump through that, that generation, go to mobile internet. So for us, is since it's a bigger market underserved and our technologies really can help them to improve the experience, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Then if we can do really well and improve our business case and as well as technology, then we can go back to the mature market because the mature market it's well served and it's a really highly competitive to be honest with you. yeah right well i mean it's right as a startup it makes sense to go after a niche where where you feel like you can invest more creatively and and differentiate yourself so who are you serving who are your customers you know you say look we've got this this improved experience that we can help you deliver in these other countries that are underserved and maybe you weren't able to deliver the kind of experience that you wanted to, but now we can help you deliver your service. So who are your customers? Who's looking to, to do this? Besides Google. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> so uh, our customer is mainly obviously to be, right? B2B business, and it's media entertainment. So just name a few, for example, TikTok. So it, even it's emerging market doesn't mean, it, it, it's the users are staying as US, they, they use TikTok every day, right? The thing is for gaming company like a mobile legend, one of the very large esports company. Right. Right. So they have a million users in India. So so your business is B2B, but most of your customers are B2C? Yeah. Would that be correct? Okay. That's right. Yeah. Got it. They they, they are providing games or social media or yeah, video sharing, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And so your value proposition is hey, you want to expand and improve your service in these markets, we have a press the easy button. Exactly, right? Put this way, you pay for the experience. <laughs> Sorry to see that, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, and I'm sure it's a lot cheaper than them having to go in and figure out, you know, the the, the deployment scenario in all these different markets. Because you're right, as you mentioned, you know, your first customer taking, you know, into these edge locations in China. Like some countries, it's hard to do business in. And exactly. just the fact that you figured out how to do business in removes a lot of the barriers. Plus, you've figured out where the data centers are and whether you've had to build or buy or lease or whatever. And so you've kind of, you've made it. And, and they can always in their head think, well, we could always go in ourselves, even though, you know, that may, yep. you may create a really sticky service. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I noticed on your network map that you have data centers in emerging markets. You know, you got one in Los Angeles and San Jose. How does that fit into your, your business today? Yeah, so I mean, even our 
the strategies go to the emerging markets first, right? But our customer need a global coverage. So like in the US, we have 12 data centers and then we would love to partner with you guys, build more like a 50 or hundreds, right? Because the experience is not just for one location, right? It's going to be a global users. Yeah. And so do you, do you find that, that when you approach a customer, if you say, look, we have let's just say complete coverage and I, that's another you know, exactly. definition yeah. but listen but yeah we've got complete coverage you go to one company we can get you to the entirety of brazil or the entirety of india do you find that that's sort of the the that adds a lot of value yeah so either uh, uh, region or country specific or they say okay you're just helping me improve the global user experience it doesn't matter which country it is right yeah so we'll just help you yeah that's that's really interesting and t- tell me about you know where you saw the opportunity around I mean, it's it's one thing to offer the the capability to help you know Google bring its own servers into a country uh, or anybody TikTok or something, and it's another thing to say we're going to buy servers and we're going to deploy them and then we're going to lease them to you and we're going to start looking like a Google at least a small one right at the start. How how did you go through that transition to the bare metal cloud offering and and you know as you say moving up the stack that whole strategy to move up the stack. Yeah, so I mean, we start with helping other people to deploy, right? But the value, I would, for us, a startup, we keep thinking about how to continue to create value, right? If you just pay providing the data centers and the managed service, the value is a little bit low, Once, especially when the customer is getting more sophisticated, right? So, and we can only help certain customers. Now we start building the, the stack, so-called edge cloud on the infrastructure service. Then we will continue to move to the platform as a service means not only large companies and the small companies and developers, they also can deploy service, deploy their code at the edge. I think it, it will be make an even bigger impact and it's a good business case, right? So that's our choice is to continue to move up. Right. Yeah. Are you seeing a demand for more bespoke hardware? And I guess what I mean by that is, is you know, uh, so in order, if I want to run more sophisticated AI workloads at the edge, I might want to have bare metal with GPUs or, you know, or there's some specialized FPGAs that, that are being used. Are you seeing a demand for like innovation on the equipment that they can get through your bare metal cloud? Tell me a little bit about that, what you're seeing. Yeah. So on the hard, hard, hardware side, for sure, because uh, uh, there is a demand for like a GPUs or more advanced hardware in the, at the edge. The, the issue is right now it's just cost and the benefit is not there, right? Because we have clients running cloud-based gaming. So in our edge sites, each server, they want to pop in four or eight GPUs. That's not an issue. The issue is where is the power? <laughs> you don't have enough power. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you, you know that. But he, as you say, you have 20 racks. If you pop in a bunch of a GPU powered service, you probably can only put two racks in there, right? Well, there's creative ways around that, but yeah, yeah, you're, no, you're right. I mean, I mean, you know, whether you can actually rectify and cool the equipment is one question. You know, whether you have the facilities to do it, and then there's another question, which is like, can you literally get more power to the site? Exactly. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, a couple hundred kilowatts is doable, 
but it, it's hard to get a megawatt of power, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But obviously, I think eventually this will happen. But it takes one is hard, like a always like a Nvidia maybe come up a low power consumption GPU. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Sure. I mean, you look at the work that Arm's doing and the the inroads they're making into edge data centers. Right. Yeah. One is a, what we what we think about is software add a software layer. Basically, basically, I have ten edge sites in the U.S. For example. Okay. I deploy GPUs all in those 10 edge sites. Somewhat I make it a synchronized. They can do one job at one time. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. No, that's valuable, right? Because otherwise I'd have to build that myself. So you offer that as a service, the sort of you know simultaneous deployment? Yes. Right now, we, we're not on the GPU side. This is really far away. But on the bare metal side, on, on the compute side, we kind of make that experience available now. Yeah, so let's let's talk. Okay, so 10 data centers in the US, and you described them as edge data centers. So what makes those data centers edge data centers as opposed to just uh, in, in market regional data center? What is it that differentiates that? Yeah, 10 data centers is not really edge. <laughs> I want to correct myself. If I deploy 50 or 100 in your, your data center, that's edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah th- these 10, 12 data centers we have in the U.S. is really regional data center. Yeah, and I, and I think the regional data center is part of the edge, but it's that, it's that sort of outer layer, and there's, this, you know, there's, there's gradations there. And, and as you said, you know, it's like you said, like right now, uh, you're not seeing a lot of demand from your consumer-based customers for superior to 10 millisecond. And so there's a lot of workloads that can operate in that 10 to 30 millisecond range. And frankly, as you say, like it's less, it's, it's more cost-effective to deploy in larger facilities that have more power. That, you know, it's, and so I think there's, a, there's always going to be a role for these regional data centers. So it's interesting you said, okay, so you talk about the number of data centers. And I think that's probably a, a reflection of how far out in the edge you are. I mean, it's a reflection of the global coverage, but also how far in the edge you are. So if you're at 150 data centers today, you sort of you know, fast forward to 2025, and let's assume that most of your ambitions are realized. How many data centers do you think you'll, you'll be in then? It will be around three, uh, 300 to 400. Yeah. I, I would say it might be over a thousand, uh, <laughs> but maybe that's maybe that's twenty twenty seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know the, the difficulty is when you have thousand data centers. Just imagine, right? I was say you have million servers in one data center, like Amazon, or million servers in thousand data centers. Yeah. Yeah, that's difficult to manage. Yeah, it is. It is, and I think that that you know, you talk about the software tooling that you've built to do these simultaneous deployments on your bare metal servers. Like that, you know, when there's when there's two places you can provision an EC2 instance, US West and US East, like a human can make those decisions. Yeah. When there's fifteen, yeah, a human can make those decisions. But when there's fifty to a thousand. We're going to need a whole new set of orchestration tools, and the orchestration is probably going to change by the second. Exactly. You know, because I think because the resources are going to be constrained, and you're probably going to be buying instances on auction, and it's going to be a really interesting, interesting world. And we're just going to need a lot of software tooling to make that work. And you can see how it's where it's going. I mean, to some extent, companies have solved this inside the data center. I mean, that's what that's what Google's Borg and you know the Kubernetes derivative of that does. And it's a logical extension to say, well, if I can treat the, the 40,000 cores in a single data center as kind of one pool of resources, why can't I spread that across 100 data centers? But we're not there yet. We haven't yet got all the orchestration tools. Yeah. So what, um, what do you see as the emerging 
customers. Like like when you see like you know the customers that you're that your bread and butter customers today that you've got a clear value proposition. Uh, so you mentioned it's the the esports. Let's let's talk through those. Let's talk about Zenlayer's customers today. Like who are your key customer segments today? Yeah. So uh, gaming, right? Gaming, uh, uh, online education. So when you say gaming, you mean both like esports, but also like just you know Fortnite and these other sort of interactive worlds. Yeah interactive uh, gaming experience. Yeah, those gaming companies, right? And uh, uh, online education. Online education is huge. And it's growing now with the global pandemic conditions. Exactly. And online education is, you know, we have a customer is that their teachers are in US, in Dallas or in, in Montana, but their students are in Asia, like in Shanghai or Beijing or, oh, or interesting. Jakarta, right? They're learning English. So that millisecond of delay is really really important. Yeah. Well, so, so tell me how that works. So I'm, I'm a teacher in Dallas and I have, I have a, a, a student in Shanghai. Yeah. And let's say I'm not a Zenlayer customer. What's that experience like? And then when I turn Zenlayer on, how does that change? And how does it change from the experience, but also like technically what happens that's different? Got it. So if you're not using any service providers like us, you pretty much... Uh, a uh, Dallas uh, teacher connect to the Dallas in, uh, through the internet connect to Dallas Pop, in in a sense. Then you go through the public internet, reach Shanghai. The the student was also connect to Shanghai's internet, like a China Telecom per se. Right? Obviously, you can imagine that experience. Right? <laughs> There's so many components that will make it stop working. Right? Now, use our technology today is. The Dallas teacher will connect to our Bermuda Cloud in Dallas. From there, our private backbone will take over. I see. So I'm not BGP routing over the traditional internet. I'm going over your backbone directly. Exactly. You you pay for a fast fast track. <laughs> I see. I see. So yeah, oh, that's interesting. So I can see why that's a a big part of your business, offering this these sort of global networking services. And so it's not it's not magically you know solving for the speed of light. It's just reducing the network hops and and giving you sort of you know higher qualities of service across your routers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that that means there's less delay in the video, less delay in the audio, less. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Okay, so education. What what else? Yeah. So hold on to the education. Yeah. So in the future, for the education companies, they don't need to care about bare metal cloud and our cloud networking and backbone anymore. They can just call our API. Okay. So means their application just send us requirements that I want 120 milliseconds between Shanghai and Dallas. So just like I, I create a declarative manifest for my Kubernetes workloads, I create a network declare, declaration and you just make it happen or tell me tell me I'm out of luck. <laughs> yeah. So we, we will automatically provision it and scale up and scale down. That's, That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, no, and I can see, I can see why that that would be a real pain to build myself. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So online education, esports, we talk about, and the media entertainment. One large segment is live streaming, right? Like TikTok. All those uh, like high school seniors that yeah. using TikTok either chat or uh, post short videos, right? Yeah. That obviously requires a lot of edge service traditional CDN service, as well as the new edge compute service. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are you seeing any, you know, B2B applications like with, with business SaaS software or anything like that? Uh, yes. So 
right now work from home, right? So when they access to like Office 365, even Zoom, right? Especially globally, when you have a meeting globally or you access the SaaS application globally, there's a challenge. That's why we provide this so-called application association service, SaaS association service, which helps them to improve the application experience. Yeah. Do you think that your your background, having you know come from China and now being in the U.S., uh, has helped you like from day one be a global company? Yeah, it's always my ambition to become a, a global company because not a Chinese company, not a just a global company. Because my ambition or my my passion is to improve the global user experience, not the individual regions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, one of the things we touched on earlier was the difference between what what is needed now and what's going to be needed in the future. And I think another way of saying that is like there's some, you know, irrational exuberance around edge and there's like the practical, like what actually needs to be done today. Can you give our listeners some insight into how how you're seeing these trends evolve and where you're seeing, where you think the new demand is going to emerge? You know, even if it's not here today, you know, what's, what's coming for, like, what, what are the, what are the macro trends from your perspective that you're seeing in your, your customer base and others that you're interested in? Yeah. So obviously we don't know which, what's the next killer app yet, right? We are mimicking today what we do. Like for, for example, we have video conference. Then we think about next, maybe next two years or three years, we have AR, VR based video conference, right? So we mimic what we're doing today, but still that process will create a huge demand, right? Then later it will be a new killer app will coming online. We don't know. Is this a different type of e-commerce or different type of social application or different kind of a live streaming, right? But just imagine in the future, you and I just like sit in the same room, right? But the projection is there. That requires a lot of bandwidth, right? <laughs> Are you, you just, uh, when, when do you think, when do you think that'll be here? I don't know. I'm really a Star Wars fan, so. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 you're waiting for it. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised that ARVR hasn't yet taken off because it's just, to me, it's an amazing experience. And I just, I, I, I don't understand. So I, th- I think it's inevitable. I'm like you. I, I just think it's inevitable. Maybe, maybe we just have to get away from the heavy goggles and, you know, other sort of apparatus. Yeah, I think a bandwidth is the issue, the, the hardware experience is the issue, and content is the key. There is no killer content available or whatever the experience. There will be new companies that provide that service. Well, I tell you, I've been locked up my house for three months, and I just would die to walk around Paris virtually. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or and even the, Los Angeles, right? <laughs> and if I can walk with you or go to Kyoto. Well, yes, right. Wouldn't right? That, be, that, that be cool? You know, that's one of the things that, that, that I've discovered, you know, and I've, I've been working at home for, for many, many years. But now that everybody's working from home, I think, I think people are starting to realize this, that I think there was this, this assumption that human experiences are so dramatically different in person that you can never replicate it with technology. But what I've discovered from my own experience, is that great communication, like, like this conversation, it's like watching a movie where you just get lost in the movie. Like, I have to think about the fact that we aren't sitting across a table sharing a cup of coffee, right? And I think the part of what makes that possible is the richness of the experience. This is video, it's real time, it's got voice. I mean, the listeners don't know that we're actually looking at each other over, over a Zoom call, but that's how this 
podcast is recorded. And I just notice it disappearing. And I, I can only imagine when we richen the experience, you know, with other modalities like three-dimensional space, how it's, it, it is going to be a new, you know, like my children, my children project their lives online. Like to them, you know, you know, I remember, I remember when I showed my youngest child the Mac for the first time, he tried to touch the screen because that's, that's what the phone does, right? That's what the iPad does. And I think there's just this, this expectation, this next generation that just our human interactions are enriched and expanded by all this technology. And it's not a replacement for human interaction, but it's a, it's, I'm finding it a very profound experience. And it's neat to see this, you know, kind of technology nobody ever sees. You know, I mean, how, how many people actually see Zenlayer? <laughs> Right. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that I would call it recreating the social experience. It will be a big business. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you think about, you talk about like, you know, improving the internet globally, right, as being one of your passions. What what makes you passionate about that? Like you really light up when you say that. Where is that drive coming from? I just want to make people happy. <laughs> really. That's awesome. Yeah. Really? You just want to make people happy? Yeah, that, that's... <laughs> That's a that is a really awesome mission. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I gotta go try that one on. That's a that's a really good one. That's a really good one. This has just been a wonderful conversation. I mean, is there is there anything that we should have covered and didn't, or that you'd like to to tell the audience, or because this this has just been a delightful conversation. Thank you. I I, I think yeah, I got to really covered. I love this, this conversation. I know this whole experience is great. <laughs> love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Joe. Appreciate you being on the podcast. And it's, it's been wonderful meeting you. And I hope we get to meet in person someday. Thank you, Matt. Great. Looking forward to it. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Magnificent Seven. Vapor.io, Packet, Seagate, Catchpoint, Ori Industries, Zenlayer, and NetFoundry. To get in touch with the show, email us at team at overtheedgepodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Zenlayer's Global Edge cloud platform lets you improve digital experiences for your users instantly. You only have fractions of a second to grab a user's attention before they give up and move on. But lowering latency doesn't have to be complicated or expensive. Zenlayer offers on-demand edge services in over 150 POPs around the world, with expertise in fast-growing emerging markets. Whichever Zenlayer edge services you choose to lower latency, you'll find the result is a happier, more engaged user base. Visit zenlayer.com edge to learn more. <laughs>